Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Zoe Ralph is a leadership expert specializing in the people stuff. She shows leaders and teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. She has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987. From the wild rivers of northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia, Zoe has spent the last 30 years showing teams how to navigate the wilderness of people stuff. Zoe is the author of three books, Composure, How Centered Leaders Make the Biggest Impact, Moments, Leadership When It Matters Most, Loyalty, Stop Unwanted Staff Turnover, Boost Engagement, and Build Lifelong Advocates, and her fourth book, People Stuff, an Advanced Leadership Handbook. Zoe is also the producer of the Zoe Ralph Leadership Podcast, dedicated to exploring perspective in people stuff so we can live and lead better. Zoe is an outdoor adventurist and enjoys telemark skiing, has run six marathons, is a one-time belly dancer, has survived cancer, and loves hiking in the high country. She is married to a gorgeous Aussie and is mother to a geriatric garden-wrecking chook. And for us Americans, that's a chicken. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Substance misuse is up 13% since COVID-19. Amy Guerrero, recovery coach, conscious sober human, and founder of Thrive in Recovery, supports people in recovery to discover the root cause of what keeps them stuck in coping mechanisms that are no longer working. Amy's trauma-trained approaches help recovering people find success and create healthy relationships. If you or your family are struggling with emotional trauma and forgiveness, Amy and Thrive in Recovery have proven methods to support you. Go to thriveinrecoverywithamy.com and get started on this important journey. Welcome, Zoe Ralph. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really excited to be here. It's a fabulous morning down here in Australia, so I'm pretty pumped. Well, so am I. We're happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Let's go. Let's go. All right. So tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. I love this question as we look back on our lives and where did it all start? And I was thinking about this the other day. And uh, my first experience of leadership was probably when I was 11. 
and I was made captain of the school patrols. Now, I don't know if you have school patrols where you are, but it was basically the older kids were in charge of letting the younger kids cross the road and you were given flags. Yeah. That's your well, symbol of authority. That. I remember that in Catholic school, yes. There you go. So I was part of the school patrols and I was made captain of the school patrols. Big responsibility, keep people safe, stop the traffic, let people walk across the road. And the first thing I uh, worked out that leadership comes as a double-edged responsibility. You really need to follow the rules. And uh, my sister called me out actually. So one day finished my school patrol duty and I ran across the, <laughs> ran across the zebra crossing. And she said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to run. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to run. It's not like one rule for everybody else and not me. So that was my first experience of leadership. It was a bit of a failed leadership or a, a painful awareness. But that's a great thing to learn so early. You know? It is the rough edge of double standards and you lose credibility immediately as soon as you do that. So I think that was my very first leadership role. And then really what launched my career per se was my experience at summer camp. So like many good Canadians, I went to summer camp from a young age and ended up on canoe trips, which I loved, through the wilderness of Northwest Ontario. And from there, I discovered the power of team, the power of being in a great group, the power of struggling together to achieve an outcome. And it was a delicious experience. I love getting to know the other people on the trip and uh, learning a lot about myself. And that was my sort of second entree into being able to accomplish something together, a core component of leadership. So after participating on a six-week canoe trip, I went on to lead those trips myself and then to be a steward of the wilderness coordinator. So I, I was the leader of the leaders on the trip. And through that experience, I worked at summer camp for nine years. I discovered two passions. One was the wilderness and the other was people. I became fascinated by people and team dynamics and loved it. From there, that sort of launched me into where can I do this full time around the year? And I had a friend who'd come down and worked at Outward Bound Australia. And so I put my hat in the ring and rang them up and said, will you have me? <laughs> and they said, sure, you can come on a 13 month visa, which felt like forever. I'm like 13 months. And you're still there. <laughs> I know. And it's 24 years later. <laughs> so it was never part of the plan. But here I arrived in Australia to do similar things, to lead expeditions in the wilderness. And after a year, I went on to work on the senior leadership at Outward Bound. So I headed up staff and training and I had a team that I managed there. So I was training the expedition leaders on facilitation skills as well as outdoor experiential skills. I was there for nine years, 10 years, something like that, heading up the executive and being part of the management of that organization. Then went on to work at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, which is actually hard to say with a Canadian accent. And there I developed and delivered leadership programs for leaders in different industries and regions around Australia. So for the wine industry, the cotton industry, the wine industry was really fun, actually. <laughs> they always had lovely wines to share yeah, it, uh, during the process. <laughs> so this fascination with people and the outdoors has been a blend throughout my career. And that's sort of where I've ended up today. I started my own coaching business. It started off as one-on-one -on -one coaching in 2002. A long time ago now. And 
over the years, I did that part-time while I was still at Outward Bound and then part-time when I was at Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. I've been six years running my business now where I do executive coaching. I do facilitation and training for executive teams and CEOs. So that puts me square bang in the middle of 2020 as we said. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. So tell me about your business right now. Where can we connect with you? Well, there's lots of different places. So my website is zoerouth.com. So Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.com. And that's sort of a platform of who I am and what I'm about. If you want to connect and have conversation with me, a couple different places. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I post there very regularly. I have a podcast called Very Creatively, the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So there's lots of socials you can connect with me. And if you want to have a personal conversation, Zoe at intercompass.com.au. I wrote down some of the things that you said, which makes sense why you're in this space right now. You spoke about the power of the team. You were very astute, even when you were younger, right in summer camp, this is where you learned this, the power of the team. Also, you used my favorite word to describe something I love is delicious. Not many people use that word, but you did. And you just spoke to my heart. You also are very, very curious about people, which to me could make for a good coach. Well, I hope so. Yes. <laughs> if you're not curious as a coach, you're going to suck. Yes. yes. <laughs> you got to be able to keep exploring, keep asking questions and suspend judgment. I mean, that's one of the pow most powerful tools as a coach is to park your own stuff to the side if you can and show up with curiosity to be a, a provocateur. Is that the right word? Provocateur? <laughs> I'm know. not sure. They both sound good. Provoke and poke. <laughs> Provoke, poke, mirror, explore, uh -huh. uh, and help the other person come to their own conclusions and their own path. I mean, that's the essence of coaching for me. And it's absolutely what a coach should be doing. So I really appreciate that. So Zoe, at the time of this interview, we're hopefully, I mean, I'm in the U.S., you're in Australia. I haven't really watched the news because it can be so negative. You know, for us, we're at the tail end, hopefully, of the global pandemic, COVID-19. Tell me how has that affected your organization, your family, you? Oh, yeah, sure. The second week in March, I describe as Armageddon. It's mm. terrible. And that's sort of where... COVID arrived on the shores of Australia and our government leapt into action mode and started initiating shutdown. And in the space of two days, I had phone call after phone call from clients saying, cancel, 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 postpone, cancel, cancel. And I looked at my diary empty out and I looked at my bank account and went, okay, what do we do? What have we got on hand? Uh, how are we going to get through this? And for the next two weeks was high adrenaline in terms of trying to figure out what this meant for us, how we were going to ride our way through it, and what decisions we needed to make in the immediate. And then also, we looked at the business. The business had resources to last us six months or more, so that reduced the panic a little bit. And I set out to be in service to other leaders who had much bigger decisions to make, who had a lot many more people that they were responsible for and they had to stand them down. They had to reassure. And so I was in support to the leaders that I worked with and I had lots of conversations with them going, how are you doing? You know, and there was a lot of adrenaline filled anxiety through that initial period. 
Um, my husband's business was fine. He's a divorce lawyer, so he just moved everything to home. They didn't miss a step, really. They had some technical glitches trying to work out the, the IT, but largely it was fine. And then with my team, we sort of made a plan. What are we going to do for the next 12 weeks in particular as the shutdown really went into a hard pinch? So we focused on the different projects we would get started with. I think the toughest thing through that was adjusting expectations. And there was a huge sense of mourning, like over the loss of what could have happened over the plans we had for 2020. And I think there was some coming to terms with that and grieving that was an emotional process. That was the initial place. And then around Easter, so about six weeks into it, kind of hit rock bottom at one particular stage where I took a good hard look at the state of the business and went, oh my goodness, this is tough. Like there is no end in sight. What are we going to do? And I remember going through my finances with a fine tooth comb and going, wow, if things don't change, we're going to have to close down in three to four months. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember going into the shower and having a, a big old cry in shock and grief and whatever. And then once we got through that, it's was like, okay. So now I know what the worst is. And I know what decisions need to be made and what the milestones are, what the trigger points are for that good to go. Let's carry on. We're not there yet. <laughs> Let's keep going. So I think the first six to 12 weeks were the toughest. And then what we've been doing since then is just creating different things and being a value in a different way. That's been my COVID journey so far. Thank you for being so just open about the struggle because it has been a struggle for most of us. Now, during this time, do you have an inner circle or a coach that you go to? Because that's important, especially now. Absolutely. So I've been very grateful to be part of an organization called the Thought Leaders Business School. And I was a student there for four and a half, five years. And then I went on to faculty about a year and a half ago. And this has been the lifeblood and sanctuary for me as a professional. So the way that the organization works is that it helps clever people be commercially smart. It teaches us how to develop our intellectual property, how to roll that out commercially to the market and be of greater service. So that community has been instrumental in helping me grow, first of all, my business over the last six years. And then as a community of peers and colleagues and mentors to be a sounding board throughout this well before COVID hit sounding board and support because running your own show can be quite a lonely experience. And then in COVID the organization set up support calls for us so we could tune in and just check in. You know, we're all in the same boat. Like all of us had our practices wiped out and different resources and different contexts. And so some people were on a pointier end than others. So we were just there for each other. And that was hugely important for us. You know, I always believe that if a coach doesn't have a coach or an inner circle, then you kind of question that. But I knew you did. And I haven't spoken to you about it, but just how you are so curious about people and how you love learning. It just told me a lot about what you do and your integrity in what you do. Thank you so much for that. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. So ask yourself, how's my relationship with money? Is it kind and nurturing, free of conflict, or is every day an epic battle? It may be hard to imagine there's a better way to manage your finances. It's actually easier to bury your head in the quicksand and hope it will never go away. It won't. 
If you're ready for a change, check out this book by Henry Doss, FQ, Financial Intelligence. Now you can buy it on Amazon. Instead, how about a quick money lesson? Get it free at bookbaby.dasknowledge.com. That's bookbaby.dasknowledge.com. If you like what you see, check out his course at dasfq.com where you can learn it all from a master. Podcast listeners can sign up for one free month of coaching at podcast.dasknowledge.com. Now, with all this, do you have a quote or advice that has helped you during this crisis? Not specifically a quote, more of a process. The process, though, is like, okay, wherever you are, you've got to just confront what's going on. And from there, you can make it through. Perhaps it was Viktor Frankl. It might have been another survivor of a prison camp. That was their first step in surviving difficult circumstances, was confront the brutal facts. And when I did that at Easter, that was that low point. The next point was to imagine what you can do with each of these particular scenarios. And it doesn't feel good to do that, to be honest. It feels miserable because no one wants to go through the worst case scenario. So we kind of just like park it off to the side and don't look at it. Yet when you do, you're prepared and it's actually a bit of relief. In fact, I was interviewing Chief Chris Sinog, who's a former Navy SEALs about this very thing yesterday. And I was asking him about his habits and what he brings to the table in terms of how he manages his day every day. And he says, well, if I'm going out to dinner with my family, the first thing I do when I go into a restaurant, it's like a habit, takes them a minute. He goes, I look around, I assess for potential threat. I visualize different scenarios, what would happen, what I would do, how to keep my family safe. And I have it all pre-organized in my brain. And then I can sit down and have dinner. And that mental rehearsal of the worst case scenario allows him to relax and feel prepared because if something did happen, then his brain retrieves that scenario and acts on it. And he does that for positive visualization as well. I knew the power of visualization and to hear a Navy SEAL talk about it in that way, I'm like, oh God, it makes much more sense. <laughs> I said, that sounds really stressful to everywhere you go. You're always looking for threat. And he goes, actually, it makes you less stressed because you're prepared. I'm like, yeah, okay. You're not always hardwired <laughs> to look for threat, but it totally makes sense. Like if you go in, you go, right, this and this, I'm good. And Tim Ferriss calls this fear setting. And it's the process of if you have a 90-day plan, what's the worst that can happen? Imagine the worst. How would you cope with it? How would you troubleshoot it? And then you're done. Then you don't have to worry about anything because you've already resolved the issues ahead of time and confronted that potential worst-case scenario. So that process is something that absolutely has helped me get through COVID from week to week. And the other one, which is different to that, which is more uplifting, is something I heard Derek Sivers, a podcast interview, and the question that he's been pondering is instead of, you know, what is your purpose? He said, the better question that he's discovered is, what do you hate not doing? And I think it's just a different frame to look at what are you passionate about? What do you hate not doing? Sort of reveals like, ah. Oh, man, if I didn't have that in my world, I'd really miss that. And when I thought about that, like one of the things I would hate not doing is getting out for a run in nature. I mean, I would really hate not to do that. So therefore it's really important. Right. And I would hate not to be able to write. So I love writing. And I think that would be one of the things I would hate not to do. So speaking of writing, I have three of your books, Loyalty, Moments, and Composure. And you have a new one that came out recently. So talk to us a bit about that and where can we get these? 
I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of the flow of the book. So the first one was Composure. It came out in 2015, and that's about deep self-mastery. And it takes an insider's look at what are the hard things and how can you craft a sense of yourself and maintain that even keel. So it's an introductory, like, like, who am I? How do I lead? And it looks at archetypes. This is sort of the first time I talk about leadership archetypes. And it's about balancing different aspects of archetypes and discovering a bit of self. That's composure. And moments kind of is a follow-on from that, looking at what are the tough moments in leadership that we need to confront. And some of them are rock bottom moments. And how do we spin our way through that? How do we reframe those experiences? Some of those difficult moments are ethical challenges between a rock and a hard place. And the third moment is when we come toe to toe with somebody else and those difficult moments when we interact with others. So that's that second book was about how do we lead through those difficult moments. Loyalty is really about team engagement. And the key premise there is that loyalty in today's context is no longer about longevity in a company. Loyalty is more about creating advocates. So how you serve your staff and your teams and create a wonderful experience together to craft something wonderful in service to your clients is the core essence of what we need to do as leaders. Forget trying to keep them around for ages because the reality is there's so much opportunity out there. We don't necessarily want to confine our team members to stay with us. And some of them, we definitely don't want them to stay with us. So what we want is to create such a fabulous experience with the people for the time that they're with us. They become lifelong advocates. And wherever they go, they talk well about you and the organization. So loyalty goes through the tactics of how to do that, how to build your team, what are some rituals and practices you can put in place. Now, People Stuff, my latest book that just came out, which is Beyond Personality Problems, an Advanced Leadership Handbook, is a big essay treatise on perspective, first of all. So how do we hone perspective as leaders? How do we see ourselves? How do we see others? How do we see the bigger picture? And it goes through some essential skills of how we can look and see differently. And then we take a deep dive into the complex dynamics of how people interact with each other. I call those the four devils of people stuff. Uh, we look at archetypes for leaders. So again, I pick up archetypes and explore that in a different way from a business leadership point of view. And then looking at the bigger picture, who is in our circle of us? And largely the circle of us should be as big as possible. And all of that leads to being able to lead with wisdom and compassion. So that's the key purpose of the book is I'm hoping that leaders will pick this up. They will see more to lead better and they will lead with better wisdom and compassion. Very important topics to talk about in leadership, wisdom, compassion, who we are on a deeper level. Now, where can we get this? You can find them on my website, zoebrouth.com. And the first three are listed on all the online booksellers and the people stuff should be up soon. So my distributor has got all the information. So it should be available online for as an ebook, as well as a print on demand book in other countries. So it's either on my site or online bookstores. Fantastic. Now, Zoe, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? Yeah, this it's been coming particularly to the fore during the pandemic. And what I see as a regression to nationalism and us versus them. So the us versus them dynamic is something I find extremely problematic and challenging. And I didn't expect this to happen in Australia, but it is also happening here that our circle of us is shrinking. 
For example, in Australia, we've had a second wave outbreak in Victoria, which is one of our states in the country. So all of a sudden, we were all chugging along really well and declining numbers and cases. And then whammo, they had a massive spike of cases, community uh, transmission, and it became all panic stations. And so all of Victoria has been shut down. They're back to like the highest sense of restrictions. They've got curfews. They can't go anywhere. And the other states in Australia banned any of the Victorians coming across the border. So all of a sudden, instead of being, all of us being Australians, we're like, oh, they're Victorians. <laughs> and it was like this disparaging yes. sentiment towards them, you know, it's as if they were yeah. dirty or something. It's like, so this us versus them thing through the fear of catching a disease has created divisions. Whereas I had hoped that this sense of camaraderie and community would be the opposite. We're all in this together. It's affecting all of us, no matter what country, how wealthy you were, all of us are subject to that. And then I think perhaps I was a little naive to think that that would unify the planet. It hasn't. And this is concerning. And I guess it's a bit of realization for me is that when people come into survival, they retract, they contract. So this is a concern. Now, in all of that, there has been insights and possibilities of hope. And where I'm seeing places of hope is in the youth. Young people are more educated, have more access to information and intelligence than ever before. And they are 20 to 30 years ahead, I think, of my generation. So I qualify myself as Gen X. So the younger Gen Zs have been able to speed up the process of gathering information, intelligence, and insight, I think, because of the nature of the web that we didn't have growing up. So they are way more informed and way more ethically focused in some ways than a lot of our older counterparts, being Gen X, boomers, et cetera. And so what I'm finding encouraging is the energy and focus and ethical responsibility that I see a lot of young people taking on board. And there is a galvanizing sense. There is a sense of community and crowdocracy that the young people are taking charge of. And I find that exciting and really interesting. I guess the other thing that's given me hope is turning to nature and just seeing how nature carries on. Nature And probably better than before. (laughs) Yeah, there's certainly been some discussions around that, you know, with the lowered movement of cars and planes, that the planet's getting a chance to process some of the garbage that we've been pumping into it. Uh, So the planet endures, and the planet will endure long past any of us. And then it has an end date eventually, two, two billion years from now when it boils up in the sun. In the meantime, nature is doing its thing. The birds are tweeting, the plants are growing, there's signs of spring here right now, which always gives me signs of hope. So that's what I'm turning to for renewal and reassurance. It's always good to look at that because we're still in it. We don't know when the end date will happen. I'm in New York, so we're opening up more, but we're cautious. And so looking at positive messages and looking at things that we're hopeful for and hopeful about is something that we need to hear. So thank you, Zoe. Now, you have a choice here. You can either answer a question from a former guest, or you can share a challenge, a struggle, a failure that you've learned from. I'll take a question from a former guest. That sounds like fun. Okay. So Leslie Zane wants to know, If you're a company that doesn't have a lot of resources, what can you do to keep your people motivated? Yeah, well, I think 
whether you're a big organization or a little one, having carrots is not necessary. So external drivers, extrinsic rewards are not always the things that motivate and inspire people. And I think a lot of leaders struggle with that. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of things. I can't give my people stuff. The research from OC Tanner from 2016 shows that what makes great work is not necessarily what we think it is. Prior to that report, there has been Dan Pink's work on what makes great work. And he came up with three things in his research, purpose, mastery, being able to do something and master it, and autonomy, the ability to make decisions for yourself. So those three things are free and you can wrap them into the workplace. What OC Tanner came up with is in addition, the one that tops all of those actually is recognition. And recognition can be as simple as saying, thank you. You did a great job on X. Whether you do that privately or publicly depends on the individual that you want to encourage. But their research showed that that's one of the major things that contributed to a satisfying work experience is simply recognition. So I don't think you need to have all the bells and whistles of perks. And I think what's interesting to see over the last, prior to COVID anyway, particularly in the big tech giants, is this big perk wars. So what can we offer our people to come and work for us? You know, the bar fridge, the ping pong table, the free healthcare, the gym, the, all this stuff. And really that's what people brag about. That's not what they stay for. They will stay with a company, even if it is less resourced, if it has a strong purpose, if they can create and contribute, and they feel like they are being recognized and encouraged by their teammates and by their boss. It's interesting because all of those things that you spoke about are free, and it doesn't happen often in companies. I think you spoke about the youth. The youth are standing for it. I need to be recognized. I need to be valued. I think that's shifting things. Now, as a listener of this podcast, what is a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? I'd love to ask future guests, what are you doing to grow leaders around you so that you have an organization filled with leaders? It's an important question because when we have an organization filled with leaders, it actually shares the responsibility for the future of the organization. And it allows people to step into each other's shoes. And I think this is a core responsibility that many don't necessarily think about. So what are we doing to build good leaders? And maybe there's a part B to that, which is what are you doing to be a great team member? And again, that's sort of inspired by the interview with the Navy SEALs chief I spoke to yesterday, where to be a successful team, you need to be a great teammate. They're a team of leaders and a great teammates. And I think that if we take responsibility for both those things, that would be awesome. Those are great questions. Thank you. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. In all my research and experience, I've come to discover that perspective is power. That the more we see, the better we lead. And so if we show up with curiosity, with humility, and with care, we can see more of people around us, more of the dynamics between people, more of the underlying issues that are contributing to positive and negative behaviors. And we can make sound decisions that have long-lasting positive effects. So I'd say, let's focus on perspective. How can you see more, see further, see deeper of the things around you, the world around you? And from there, you need to balance whatever decision you make with wisdom and compassion. So best of the head, best of the heart. That's how Cindy Wigglesworth describes mm. wise and compassionate leadership. And I think it's beautiful. So that's what I would encourage people to do. See more, lead better. Well, Zoe, thank you for what you're doing. Amazing and important work. I want to thank you also for adding value to me and to our listeners. 
It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure. So thank you so much, Lily. Have a great uh, morning, right? It is a great morning. <laughs> I'm going to bed soon. <laughs> In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.